You were probably hoping for Bob or Sam, I, I, I guess. Thank you, Jesus. It's a beautiful day out there today, isn't it? God has given us some wonderful weather, and, and I am greatly, greatly appreciative of that. Well, we, we have heard recently, uh, both from our pastor and from our guest speaker last week, about some insight that they believe that they have received from the Lord, and basically, it's, it's basically saying that we're, we're on the precipice. We're right on the edge, and we need to prepare ourselves as a congregation, as a body, for what the Lord desires to do among us. And that might mean doing something that we're not comfortable with. That might mean doing something that we're not familiar with. That might mean doing something that we just really don't like to do. But God needs to use us to be able to share his word, to be able to share his truth, to be able to share his good news of the gospel to a lost and a dying and a desperate world. You know, we're not talking about just feel-good politics. We're not talking about just little medial things here. We're talking about life and death. We're talking about eternity and where souls will spend all of eternity. Amen. This is serious business, serious business. And we may have petty grievances, and we may have bruised toes from somebody stepping on them. But let me tell you something, brothers and sisters in Christ, now is the time to let it go. Amen. To put that behind us. Because there is a greater good. There is a bigger thing than, than our, dis, our mis, <coughs> excuse me, discomforts. We have to let it go. So I'm, I'm going to start off, um, this is a message that I put together that may be relatively crude, but I think it might help share the message that I think God has in store for us today, and I'm just titling this message, His, His Strength is Perfect. And let's begin reading in John chapter 1 at verse 19, excuse me. <clears throat> Who was John the Baptist? Do you remember him? He was a He was a prophet. What did he wear? Did he wear a business suit? No, he, he wore this, this garment that was made of camel's hair, a very crude, a very coarse garment. And he wore around his waist a, a, a belt of leather. And what did he eat? What does the Bible record that his diet was? Locusts and wild honey. And I told Sharon if I could find some locusts, I'd stick them in my beard this morning, you know. Trying to get ready for old-fashioned Sunday, maybe dab a little honey here and there, you know. Try to get the, 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 the thing across. But he had a different message. He was different for the time. His message was one that was prophesied centuries before he ever took up this, this message. But he was challenged in the message that he brought. And we begin reading this in, in, in verse 19. It says, now that this was... Excuse me, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Who are you? Have you ever been asked that? Have you ever felt like that you wanted to share the gospel or the good news with somebody and their response was like, who are you? So here is the God's man for the hour. 
And those that were in positions of authority, those that were in positions of, of rank within the church, come out, confront him, asking who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I'm not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us answer, an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, <clears throat> why do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands ones who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John had been born to a priestly family of the tribe of Levi, and we already discussed about the raiment and his uniqueness. But what made him special was he was not concerned about lifting himself up. He was concerned about shining the, the attention or, or directing the attention onto to Jesus, onto someone else. And how essential that is in this, this work that we want to do for, for spreading the gospel of Christ is that we need to try to, to concentrate on not drawing attention to ourselves, but find ways to bring attention to Christ, Amen. to let others see him. Praise his name. Paul a great minister of the gospel. Perhaps in, 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 in someone's opinion, one of the most influential men for the early church. Shared the gospel of Christ freely, but not always warmly received. In fact, he was preaching one night in, in a town called Damascus, and it went so well that at the conclusion of his message, he looked for a window, climbed out of the window. Fortunately, there was somebody there with a rope and a basket and they lowered him out of the window and he ran away from Damascus and running for his life. Sometimes the gospel isn't warmly received. Sometimes what God gives us to share isn't accepted openly to those who need to hear it the worst. Don't be afraid of the rejection that may come. It doesn't always come. Let me tell you something, there are things that you can do. You look at yourself and you say, it's not my strength, it's not my strong suit, it's not what I'm, I'm made to be. You know, I've, I've taken the spiritual giftedness test and I found out that this isn't my area of giftedness. What if you were like me? What if you had two areas? They said, we got good news and we got bad news. And I said, well, give me the good news. They say, you're strongly gifted in two areas. Praise God. Unfortunately, Celibacy and martyrdom. <laughs> Not great areas of giftedness. Fortunately, we can operate outside of those areas of giftedness. You know, I'm kidding. I'm, I, you know, it's a, it's a joke. God. My wife tells me, she grew up on a farm, and she tells me, you know, one, one thing that I do a lot of is I tell stories. And, and, and she tells me and warns me that stories are a good thing. 
but they remind her a lot of manure. And she says, you know, if you take manure and you spread it out over a field, you spread it very, very thinly and very evenly over the whole field, it does a lot of good. It helps the crops to grow. You get reward for, for spreading it thinly. But if you take too much and you put it all in one big pile, well, so you got to be careful not to share too many too often. Okay, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 and 10, he talks about a thorn that was in his flesh. Paul was being challenged by the authorities of that day. They come to him and they say, who do you think you are? We have super apostles. In fact, the NIV even uses the term super apostles to explain those people that they were comparing Paul to. And they say, you look at this guy and you know what? He takes from the church. He, he doesn't, he's not bold. He's one person whenever you see him in, in, in face to face. But when he sends you his letters, when he sends you the epistle, he's somebody else. There were people that were looking to tear down his ministry, to destroy his ministry. Those who were looking to kill him, put him to death because they couldn't take the gospel that he had to share. Christ, or, or God gave Paul a special dispensation he says he doesn't know whether he was in the body or whether he was in the spirit. He doesn't know if he was taken up to heaven in the flesh, if he was actually there physically, or if this was just a vision that was given to him. But he was taken to the highest heavens, and, and he saw things, and he heard things that he says man should not tell. Do you know everything that God gives you isn't intended to be shared? Sometimes he allows you to see things and to know things. There are gifts that operate, the gift of knowledge, the gift of wisdom. And sometimes you have insights into situations that are meaningful for you to be able to share to the other individual. Sometimes just the fact that you can shine some illumination into an area in which they're struggling and they can understand the fact that divinely you have insight into this, that gives some greater credibility. But you know, not everything that God shares you is intended Tended to be shared with everybody else. And here, this greatness and vastness of this vision, he told him basically to, to keep it for himself. Great man, great man of God, the man who so significantly influenced the early church and so significantly influences the lives of those who read the Pauline Gospels even today. I know when I read it, it challenges me. There are new insights. There are, are things about growth and relationships sometimes that I think, well, it's profound. It is profound the way that he expresses himself. But he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Well, what do you think? That if he is a man sharing the gospel of Christ, that, that the, 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 the roads would be made straight and smooth and, and, and it would be smooth sailing. Amen. Why the thorn? Why suffering within his flesh? And he said three times he went before the Lord and he asked God, please take the thorn away. And after the third time, the Lord spoke to him and told him no. But he says, my grace is sufficient. Every one of us needs to understand what it means to walk in grace. 
There is not one of us in this congregation who could stand up that could demonstrate perfection. It is not in our ability. If there is someone, then let them come forward because I sure would like to hear how they do it. But we work with the knowledge that we have. We work with the strength that we have. We work with the exposure and abilities that we have. Amen. And we work in the grace that he gives. I recently got back from a, a meeting just a few weeks ago. <clears throat> And I'm a lot better in, in, in other things than I am in, in, in delivering messages. And, and I, I'm on a, a couple of boards and I'm on this advisory board. This is a, a national organization. And, and they basically broke us down into levels that they considered us to be technical experts, not subject matter experts. And so they give you this name tag and to make sure that you go to the right places each subject matter was represented by a different color. And so some people had three dots, some had two dots, some people had one dot. And not, it's, it's greater within other countries than it is within the United States. But in Asian countries, how you interact with your peers depends largely upon the title that might be present on your business card. So they look at your business card before they, they know how to respond and how to greet you to see what your title is. And then from that, they, they determine what your merit, what your rank, what your status may, may be. And then they respond accordingly. And here, you know, working with these people that were from, from, from Asia and that were from Saudi Arabia and, and from different countries and interacting with them was very, very eye-opening. And I've been doing this stuff for a long, long time. Now, I don't consider myself to be as grand and great an expert as some of these people considered themselves to be, but some of them took real exception to the fact that I had three dots. And, and several times they, they thought, commented about the number of dots that I had on my card, almost to the point that I felt like taking some of the dots off, but I, I, I still wanted to get into these meetings to be able to find out what's happening within the industry and, and, and maybe I can contribute something. Folks, don't worry about other people's dots. Don't worry about rank. Don't worry about title. Don't worry about who is a privilege and who is not. John the Baptist walked away from becoming a Levite. He could have worn a business suit and he could have had a nice little synagogue in some little town someplace and he could have been a big duck. But the message that he was given was not one that was conducive to that lifestyle. The message that he had says something different's coming, folks. Something is going to change. There is going to be a prophet that's going to show up among us that's going to shake things up. The very foundation on which we live is going to be altered. And when he gave up the lifestyle that he could have had and adopted the lifestyle that he was called to, well, it cost him dearly. It cost him his head. It cost him his life. These, this is serious business. Paul says, or the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. 
Paul's response was, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, he is strong. That's totally opposite of what we would think. When we think that we meet a powerful man of God, what do we expect? We expect somebody to walk on water. We expect somebody to break bread and feed multitudes. We expect all these great things. But the ministry that's given us is sufficient for the need that is before us. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? Back in 1900, there was a ship called Stella. And Stella was a steamer that that basically transferred people across the English Channel. It went on some other excursions as well. It it carried a little over 200 people, 200 passengers or so. And so one night, Stella had a catastrophe and, and, and it's still argued about what took place. Some people say that the captain of the Stella saw another steamer and decided that, that he was going to race it and that he was going to try to, to reach the, the shores of France before it did. And so he poured on the extra coal and the additional steam pressure called the boiler to explode. Others say no, that there was a specific type of tide that allowed the water in the channel to be at a lower level and they actually hit, hit a, a reef and the reef tore out the bottom of the ship. All we really know is that the ship sank in just under 10 minutes. So here you have a crew and 200 people crossing the channel late at night and all of a sudden crisis hits, catastrophe hits. So they begin to put people into the lifeboats and and into one lifeboat they put 12 women and because of all of the the confusion and and, and the the fact that the ship was listing and sinking so quickly, they had no flotation devices. They had no oars. They had no way to, to navigate or to steer or to motivate the little boats that they were in. There were just 12 women in the middle of the dark, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the English Channel, at night. Then one of them began to notice that, hey, you know, my feet are wet and there's quite a bit of water coming into the boat. And they begin to panic and they begin to all of a sudden, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? One woman in the boat says, I'm going to pray. And so she prayed for deliverance and she prayed that God would look out for them and that he would bring them safely to the shore. And, and when she finished praying, they, they were quiet and she began to sing hymns. And she sang hymns and they joined in and they sung hymns all night. And the current of the channel took them quite a distance away from where the shipwreck happened. So the next morning when the sun rose and the rescuers had come to try to find survivors, they were nowhere to be found. And the, the rescuers were saying, but it's, it just was almost impossible because the fog was so thick but off in a distance they could hear just as clear as you could hear me, the voices of 12 women singing praises to the most high God to the top of their lungs. And because of the attitude that they took themselves in, they sat there with nothing to bail but their hands and bailed water. They did what little they could and they spent the rest of the time praising God and singing his hymns. And because of that, they were heard. And not only they were rescued, 
But those others that were in boats around them were rescued as well. We don't know what little thing that we have to contribute, how much it can become in the hands of our Lord and our Savior. We may not be a great singer, but if we sing our praises as unto the Lord, we can expect that there will be something gained from that. We may not have a great bucket or a big pump to be able to pull out the water that's coming into our little boat, but we can use whatever hands we have. And if we labor intently all night long, then not only our life, but the lives of those that are around us can also be spared. Use what you have. Don't despise little things. Timothy and Estrus. We hear of Timothy, you know, because of, of what he had contributed to the Word of God and what he had contributed to Paul. But we don't hear too much about Estrus. Who was he? He was the one who carried the message. He was kind of like the mailman. When Paul would write the epistle in the prison, somebody carried it back to the church. And these journeys were long, and transportation wasn't easy. Most of the trips were done by foot. But here is a man who was willing to put his life, his career, his whole objective in life on hold because he realized there was a significance to the message that Paul was pinning, and he could play a role in just carrying the message to the church. Is it a great thing? Is it a big thing? Probably not, but it's big to me. It's big to you. It was big to the early church. Little things that we do for the kingdom of God can have big results and big benefits if we're faithful and we don't criticize and we don't act bitter towards the fact that we have little tasks and menial things to do. When the pastor asked me to speak, I told Sharon, I would much rather, you know, calling on the message that the, the minister had the week prior, I would much rather have commode duty than, than to speak. This is not in my comfort zone. I sweat, my mouth gets dry, I stammer, I may have great thoughts on paper, and I struggle getting them delivered. But I'm willing to do what I can. I'm willing to look like a fool if that's what it takes to further the kingdom of God. Oh my. Jehoshaphat. Who remembers Jehoshaphat? Israel and, and had split, and now we have Israel and we have Judah, and we always have this squabble going on between the two countries. And Jehoshaphat was king of, of Judah. And he did some good things. He did some bad things, but he did some good things. And one of the good things he did was he tore down the Asherah poles and, and, and he, he sent people around to try to educate them back to the, to the law and back to the ways of the Lord. 
And one day, you know, life is going pretty good. Things are going along, and that's, you know how life goes sometimes, and all of a sudden you get bad news, and they got terrible news. One day they come to Jehoshaphat, and they said, hey, there is a vast army that's approaching. And they talked about the size of the army and who had gathered together to form this army, and these were people who were coming for one reason, and that was they were going to pillage They were going to take from Judah whatever treasures, whatever good things, whatever things they, they could have accumulated. And so Jehoshaphat didn't know what to do. So he calls a gathering of the people and he stands before this gathering. There's this great throng of people that are gathered in Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat stands up and what does he do? First of all, he proclaims God. He says, oh God, you are such a wonderful Lord and you have given us this land. You promised this land to our father Abraham that would be our inheritance forever. And you have driven from us the inhabitants of this land before. And you have done these wonderful things. And he changes the focus away from the problem onto who the provider or the solution of the problem is. He starts looking to God and his greatness. But then he also reflects back upon himself and he says, but we are weak and we are unable and he falls on his face before man and before God and cries out to God for his mercy. Oh, if we had leaders today who would not be ashamed to fall on their face before God and to cry out and say, we don't know how to fix this mess. We have gotten to this point by your grace You have allowed us, Lord, to profit and to grow and to prosper in this land, but we do not know how to manage it effectively. We do not know how to get from where we are now to where we should be. And we need your divine intervention here. We need someone to show us how to go forward. And as Jehoshaphat laid upon his face on the ground in front of the nation of Judah, pouring his heart out to the living God, There was one man who spoke up and said, oh, you don't even worry about the battle. You're not even going to have to fight the battle. I've got it for you. When you go out tomorrow to face your enemy, I will have done the fighting for you. So many times in our lives, brothers and sisters, that's the way God ordains it, that we go prepared for the battle, and he has gone before. There are so many times that we are faced with obstacles and hardships and difficulties that we don't know how to deal with, and don't worry. He's already got it. He's already done it. What happened in this particular case was there were different sects between the the group, and as they, the men of of Judah began to head out, Jehoshaphat said, hey, hey, as we're going out, I'm going to put some guys in the front, and I want you to sing. I want you to praise God. And so if I were Jehoshaphat, I mean, the, I know this isn't the lyrics that he used, but I would be singing, I'm going to lay my burden down, down by the riverside, down by the riverside, because God's got our burden, down by the riverside. And what's the next verse? And I ain't going to study war no more. No, I ain't going to study war. I ain't going to study war. Have you ever heard it before? I ain't going to study war. You know, God 
has it all under control. We frantic, we fret, we fuss. We allow ourselves sometimes to get in the situations that just aren't smart. One time we were on vacation and we went to Pike's Peak. So you, there's two ways to get to the top of Pike's Peak. You can take the, the cog railway, you know, you can pay your money and take your time and, and ride to the top on, on this railway. Or you can drive to the top of Pike's Peak. So I thought, hey, it would be fun to drive. And my son, Alex, who was a teenager at the time, he's, let me drive, let me drive, let me drive, let me drive. So he drove, and you know what? I found you can be stressed in your body in places you didn't even know you could feel stress. <laughs> I found that even though there isn't a brake on my side of the car, there is a permanent deformation in that floor when I just kept pushing on the brake. I also found that when Sharon's in the back seat pleading the blood, oh, Jesus, 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 oh, God, oh, glory, you know, that doesn't always add calmness to the situation. We made it to the top. We enjoyed the view. We survived the trip back down. A few weeks ago, we were out in, in, in Denver, and we went to Estes Park area, and we did a similar thing. We drove up the, what is it, the Fall River Road, which is basically a gravel road that goes up to the top of this mountain. There's no major improvements. There's no guardrails. There's, yeah, there's a lot of looking off the edge. And it's one of those switchbacks where you go this way and then you make a little loop. You're still on the same face, but half the time going up the mountain, the driver is looking over the edge. The other half of the time, the passenger is going over the edge. Now, who do you think's the loudest between? <laughs> God has it under control. He knows our plans. He knows our weaknesses. Amen. He knows our shortcomings. He knows the areas that we are inadequate in. We are fearful so many times because maybe, maybe the Lord is speaking to us to talk to someone we know. I can't. They know my faults. They know my shortcomings. They know my weaknesses. They know my inadequacies. They know my past. It is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the one we serve and what he is able to do with what little, what little we can bring before him. Amen. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar. Do, we, do you remember him? King Nebuchadnezzar? You could read about him in Daniel 4, beginning at verse 29, this particular reference. Nebuchadnezzar was on the roof of his palace. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had it going on. There were things that were happening in, under Nebuchadnezzar's rule. Great things were happening. The nations were being built. People were growing in knowledge and, and in wisdom and and. and Wealth and Nebuchadnezzar's on the roof, and he's, he's up on this area, and he's viewing out along Babylon, and he says, isn't this the city that I have built? 
look what I have done. Look what I have accomplished. And the word of God says the words were still on his lips. And the prophecy that had, had been given that if he turned his eyes from God, if he looked inwardly and thought highly of himself, the prophecy said for seven seasons, or seven times is what the word God says. I'm, I'm taking that to mean seven years that he would lose his mind, he would be driven from his throne, that he would prowl about in the grass on all fours, and that he would graze in the pastures like an animal, that his hair would grow out and, 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 and lay like and platelets on his back like the, the feathers of a great bird, and his fingernails would grow out like the talons of an eagle. Here was this man of rank, of stature, of importance, all of a sudden not knowing who he was, where he was, why he was doing what he was doing, but for seven times, it said, he walked upon the ground on all fours and ate grass like an animal. But one day, Nebuchadnezzar says he looks to the heavens and he realized where his strength had come from. That everything that he had gained and all that he had ever hoped to have gained was just simply by the grace and the mercy of a living God. And when he realized it was all from God, not by his strength, not by his wisdom, not by his talent, not by his ability, but simply recognizing the source being from God, then all of a sudden he was restored to his right mind and returned to his throne. There is risk, brothers and sisters. There is risk if we don't recognize the source of what we have. Joseph, Joseph found himself in prison and the cupbearer and the baker come before him and they've had dreams and Joseph was able to interpret the dream. And he says, hey, when you get out, refer me to Pharaoh. Years passed, I think the scripture says two years passed and Joseph still sits there in the prison imprisoned for something or for a crime that he did not commit. And he sits there and he patiently waits and then one day Pharaoh has a dream and these, the cupbearer remembers that, that there was a guy in, in prison that could interpret the dreams and so he sends for Joseph. Joseph's before Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, I want you to interpret my dream. Joseph says, I can't do it. I can't do it. But God can give you the interpretation. It is not in our ability. If it were in our ability, then our fears of our limitation would be founded. But it's only in our willingness to accept the task that lays before us. It may not be great. It may not be grand. It may look menial. It may be beneath you. But when you do it as unto the Lord, it has purpose, it has meaning, and it can do some mighty things. A few months ago, 
I, I, one of the engineers that works for me had a uh, project and, and asked if I could come with him to go out and look at this particular project. And this was in a very rural area in western Kentucky. And, and we were leaving very, very early in the morning. And as we were, were going down the road, you ever have one of those reflex experiences, you know, like when you open up the cabinet and the cup falls out and you catch the cup before it falls? You know, this, it was almost like a reflex experience that, that I opened, or I was driving down the road and I, I found myself just, just coming to a stop. There was another vehicle coming the other direction and that vehicle had stopped, but, but I, I, couldn't, I didn't notice or see what was going on. I just came to a total and complete stop. And I, I looked over at the guy that was with me and I said, oh, what's up, what's going wrong? He says, I don't know, but there's a man laying there beside the road. So I pulled the car off the road and, and I got out of the car and I went up to see, you know, my first thought was maybe this woman may have struck this, this gentleman as he was on the road. But as I got up closer to, to the, the man laying on the ground, I noticed that he had a rifle laying across his chest. And I also noticed that, that the clothes that he had on were, 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 were freshly laundered. They were, they were clean clothes. I also noticed that his grass had just been freshly mowed and, and, and the lawn had been trimmed. I also noticed that all of his worldly possessions were all stacked up there by the side of the house. His pickup truck, his, his ATV, everything that he had. I walked closer to the man and, and I could see that he was bleeding profusely. He'd laid down, he'd laid the rifle across his chest and he'd shot himself through the roof of the mouth. The bullet had exited just above and behind his left temple. He was conscious and he was suffering. Now, the, the, the woman who got out of the truck, she's like, don't touch anything, don't touch anything, don't touch anything. My first thought was, I gotta remove the risk. We're gonna move the gun. We're gonna get rid of the rifle. I don't want him trying a second effort or I don't want him discharging the rifle and hurting anybody else. So I took the gun out of his hand and, and I tossed it to the side and I leaned forward. And, and, and I mean, his intent, it, it was effective. It just wasn't immediate. I mean, there was little that could be done but I told him, I said, you know, there's not a lot I can do for you here, but I think I can make you more comfortable. And he moans and, and acknowledges. And so I rolled him over into what, you know, they typically refer to as the recovery position. So the blood, instead of going into his throat and strangling him and him fighting so to breathe, now drains out onto the ground before him. And immediately he seemed to have relief. And then I'm thinking, you know, I don't know how many minutes this man has left. And I don't know what has brought him to this position. And I don't know what burdens he has that he has carried with him. But somehow in his mind, he has found, thought that this would be a better relief than enduring whatever hardships lay in the road ahead of him. And then I wondered, I wonder if he even knows Christ. I wonder if anyone has ever shared with him the gospel of Jesus. And I put my hand on his shoulder and I leaned down close to him and I said, you know, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is one who walks with us even through the darkest of valleys. There is one who can lift us up even in the midst of our suffering. 
And I don't, he wasn't able to talk, but I believe in my heart that his sobs and his moanings changed to signify to me he was hearing and he was receiving. Now, you know, I found out later that the woman in the pickup truck was a nurse. And she should have been far better trained in how to administer first aid than someone like me. But she wasn't. She was just so shocked by the scene of it all. She was just frozen. And the young man who was with me, he was so afraid that his fingerprints might show up on the gun or something or somehow he might be tied into this or incriminate himself. And he was fearful to do anything. There were other people who were passing by on the highway and all they wanted to do was slow down and take a good look. Who will stop to care for the hurting? Who will give up their time? Who will give up their days in order to reach out and try to add comfort to someone who suffers? It's you, it's me. Folks, we are all that there is. God is wanting to do a work among us. He is wanting to change things. And if we are not willing to step out of the comfort zone, if we're not willing to get our hands dirty, if we're not willing to roll up our sleeves and accept the task, the challenge that lies before us, then we can just forget about what it is he desires to do in Christ's community. But if we are willing... If we will lay prostrate before him, if we will sacrifice our pride, if we will say, I don't care about anything except the furtherance of the kingdom of the living God, we can expect to see things change. We can expect to see people touched. We can expect to see those loved ones that we have prayed for and held before God for years to finally come home. Oh, It's an important thing that we do. It's an important thing that we do. Oh, how do you wrap up after this? See, I I told you I'd be better. I I could talk about Blondell's theorem all day and you'd be on the edge of your seat thinking, oh man, I'd never heard it like that before. This is not in my comfort zone. Thank you, Jesus. There was an old hymn that says, time is filled with swift transition. Not of earth unmoved can stand. Build your hopes on things eternal and hold to God's unchanging hand. We need to hold to his hand. Trust in him who will not leave you Whatsoever years may bring, if by earthly friends forsaken, still more closely to him cling. When your journey is completed, if to God you have been true, fair and bright the home and glory, your enraptured soul shall view. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Church, you got a treasure. And it's inside a fragile, frail jar of clay. But that's the plan that God has intended since the beginning of mankind. 
that he would entrust such vast and wonderful things into such clumsy and inept hands. We are his tools. We are his instruments. We are his people. Despite our faults, despite our shortcomings, despite our inadequacies, be yielded to him. Be open to him. Be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. For when you are, now I'm I'm not telling you it's gonna be easy, but I'm gonna tell you it's gonna be worth the sacrifice. When you have to share parts of yourself that you don't feel comfortable with sharing, but you see it touch hearts and lives of somebody else, it's worth the embarrassment. Now let the weak say, I am strong. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the time that you allow us to spend in it. Help us, God, as we go forward, as we try to live this life. We are not without fault. We are not without shortcoming. But let our hearts be set on you. Let us find ways to lift you, to edify your word, and to carry your word to others. Let us be willing, Lord, to get our hands dirty. Let us be willing to sweat to do the work that you lay before us. Teach us how to be your servants, how to be your church, how to be your people. In Jesus' lovely name we pray, amen. You can be dismissed. If anybody has any need or needs prayer this morning, feel free to come forward. The rest of you, you've got a life to live. Be thankful for every moment, every hour that you have. Thank him for what he's done for you. Thank you. Thank him for what he has before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions.